0: A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narcissus Ramblings podcast with me, the narcissus psychologist. Um, today's episode is the first in a two-part discussion that centers on men's mental health and specifically the barriers to men ac- accessing mental health support. However, both episodes have an additional central aim of thinking about the question of whether anyone cares about men's, men's mental health, the answer of which will hopefully be concluded at the end of episode two now before i carry on i just wanted to make a bit of a note um, that when i do these solo podcasts i tend to spend far more hours than i should um writing writing it out sort of like an essay style and then i kind of read out <laughs> um, but i recently received some feedback uh, that <laughs> somebody said to me basically that they would have given my podcast a five a five star rating if it hadn't sounded like i was reading out my podcast um, and the reason I do that, the reason I read it out is so that it makes it sound like, you know, professional or like I actually know what I'm talking about with too many, without any, t- um, <laughs> exactly like this, without too many fuck ups and when I speak. Um, but I have taken that on board and I thought, fuck it, um, I'm just going to write it out and then just read it, um, but without too much editing, without too much pausing. Um, so and see how that goes. Okay, so this is pretty much me just having a bit of a ramble from a read from something I've written. Okay, so before I go to uh, go ahead with the. Um, content of the show. I just wanted to say that this episode uh, uh, discusses the topic of men's mental health and touches on some discussions around suicide and other leading causes of men's ill health and death. Um, I'm aware, and you might obviously not be, uh, that I have no lived experience of poor physical health, mental illness, or suicide attempts, uh, either ideation or self-harm. So I do try and talk about the subject in a sensitive way, um, but at times I kind of tend to use some irreverence here and there, but mostly when I think that things don't add up Um, so no disrespect is intended by any of this Um, but I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be quite factual about things so if things don't add up then I tend to take on a bit of an irreverent tone Um, so if parts of this discussion are hard to hear uh, or you just don't want to listen anymore I don't blame you okay um, so the topic of this larger discussion developed from some very in-depth behind-the-scenes conversations that I had on my Instagram page following a very powerful video posted by UFC fighter Paddy the Paddy Pimblett. Um the video, just after the fight uh, sorry, in the video, just after a fight an emotional Paddy makes a very moving and public statement about the loss of a friend who took his own life uh, Paddy Pimblett makes a plea for men to reach out and to seek support he states this I won't go upon Friday morning at 4 a.m. to a message that one of my friends back home and killed himself. This was uh, five hours before my wedding. So, Ricky, lad, that's for you. But <clears throat> there's a stigma in this world that men can't talk. Listen, if you're a man, and you've got weight on your shoulders, and you think the only way you can solve this is by killing yourself, please speak to someone, <laughs> speak to anyone. People would rather, I know I'd rather me make cry on my shoulder than go to his funeral next week. So please, let's get rid of this stigma, and men start talking. The video went viral and was shared multiple times on my feed, from sort of you know, high profile mental health advocates like Dr. Alex George to perhaps slightly less known accounts um, and organza- organizations like Andy Man- Andy's Man's Club. Interestingly, though, in another video where Paddy is at a news conference, and I'm assuming that this is, some- that this is sometime after the fight, he goes on to say this Men just kill themselves and no one cares. We need to change it. There's no funding for men's mental health and it's the biggest killer but for men between like 21 and 45 and no one talks about it. No one even mentions it, lad. Which I'm not going to lie, took me by surprise as I thought there was a really interesting take on the state of men's mental health. I will admit though that this is not the first time that I've heard this kind of sentiment but it was certainly the first time that I'd heard it outside of what's known as the manosphere um, and I'll get into this in the second episode of this two part series. I guess the thing that strikes me is this idea that men are almost left to suffer with their mental health because no one cares. And because no one cares, there's no funding and because there's and therefore no access to mental health services for men. Which means that uh, men's mental health is left to suffer and one of the consequences can be that they end up taking their life. Um, these are not, obviously, the exact words of Paddy Pimblett, um and what he said in the news conference, uh, but I feel that this was potentially the inference, perhaps an unintended inference, but an inference nonetheless, uh, which again struck me as curious, as I had always understood that uh, mental health services, specifically here in the UK, where Paddy Pimblett is from, uh, were ungendered, and that uh, any and all mental health services were available, um, and available for all, including men. So I posted these sound bites and video clips onto my stories and asked for views, uh, asked for the views of my followers along with my own thoughts, and the massive discussion ensued. Honestly, I've never had so many people engage in a story before, uh, which leads me to su- suspect that there was a lot of interest in this particular, in this particular viewpoint that's held by um, Paddy Pimblett. As a consequence. <laughs> As a consequence to the response and to the discussion, um, it's been formatted into a you know in-depth uh, exploration of what Paddy Pimblet said. Um, so, if any of my followers are listening, know that this is all your fault. The fact that I've had to make an entire, well, two uh, podcast episodes out of this. <laughs> um, but again, you know, before we get further into this, I just want to highlight that I've got nothing against Paddy Pimblet uh, for saying what he said. I hardly knew about the man before the video of him went viral, and he's obviously entitled to his own views, and I'm not having a go at him. In fact, I think it's fantastic that a role model like him um, spoke up about men reaching out if they're in trouble. Cynics might say that the only reason he said anything was because a friend of him took his own life. Uh, a friend of his took his own life, um, and, he, and it might not likely have registered for Paddy to say anything if that hadn't happened. Which I guess is a fair point, and it's perhaps something that we can uh, consider later later on in this overall discussion. But I guess the fact that Paddy Pimblit had said what he said um, from what looked like a place of you know, quite emotional vulnerability um, and the fact that it generated discussion and further awareness, you know, that in itself is helpful. So as I said, I'm not, anything, I'm not having a go at Paddy Pimblit. But what I guess I am interested in is, um, and, what I, and I guess what these episodes are about, is the narrative around men's mental health care, um, which, is also, which I guess is also ground in the context of men's health care in general. Okay, after that long ramble of an introduction, um, let's get into it. Uh, Let's have a think about men's mental health, what the barriers are to men accessing it, and looking at the question of whether men's mental health is cared about or not. Um, Okay. (laughs) So as with things in the world that are complex and multifaceted, there's obviously no one clear-cut answer to this question. Um... Being a DBT therapist, I sometimes think of things in terms of dialectics, um, which is the fact that there are you know often two opposing opposing truths or viewpoints or positions, arguments, whatever you want to call them, um, and that these two opposing truths can exist at once. A basic example of this being that uh, some people can see a glass as half empty while others might see a glass is half full. Um, this is what's known as an either or position in the glass is either half empty or it's half full, Part of recognizing or thinking about uh, two opposing views. Um, is to try and find the balance, or what we call the synthesis, of the two positions. Uh, This is also known as finding the middle path, a way of viewing things that honour the truth in both positions, um, which I guess is known as a both-and position. So with the glass example, a dialectical synthesis would be that the glass is both half empty and half full. However, (laughs) in life, opposing views are never quite as neatly synthesized as that. Um, what the fuck does this all have to do with men accessing mental, accessing mental health services? you might be wondering, and that's a fair question. Uh, well, it seems that this topic uh, it seems that in this topic there are two opposing views. One is that due to social norms and ideas of masculinity, which create internal barriers for men in terms of help seeking, men do not access mental health services. And I will be honest, this is generally the view that I subscribe to. Um, and I mentioned this in my Instagram stories. And, the other view being that there are more prevalent external barriers to men's help-seeking behaviour, and I guess that mental health services can do more to help men access these services. So, because I don't have a full-time job, or like, you know, a family to look after or anything, I thought we could explore both of these opposing views of the dialectic and see what they bring up. So this first episode is going to be looking at men's internal barriers to help-seeking, while the next episode uh, will focus on the external barriers. In my view, and that's shared by some others who I discussed this with on my Instagram page, uh, internal barriers of help-seeking for men relate to ideas of masculinity, or what it means to be a man. In previous podcast episodes, I've discussed these issues of masculinity. In episodes 2 and 3 of this podcast, I explore the concepts of toxic masculinity, if you're comfortable with using that phrase, or what's also known as man-box culture, in more detail. So... If you want further context to this, please check out those episodes. you know you can always <laughs> if you want you can always pause the podcast here, go back listen to them and then um, come back and start this again. but if you don't want to do that and you can't be fucked, then that's uh, <laughs> completely understandable. Um, and so for the purposes of the specific ac- aspect of today's discussion, um, I'm just going to refresh some of that here and I'll expand on um, how yeah uh, and I'll expand on how help seeking is hindered by you know these notions of toxic masculinity or manbox culture. So just to clarify, my understanding of toxic masculinity, or man box culture, is not that masculinity is toxic. No one is saying that, except for maybe the people who are upset about the term because they think that's what it's saying. Jordan Peterson, I'm looking at you pal, they are the only ones who are saying that. The conceptualization of toxic masculinity is that there are certain rules of how to be a man that have evolved over time and they've been passed down through generations and within cultures. And here, because this is a culture in which I exist and have more knowledge about, um, I'm I'm specifically referring to uh, the Western concept of manhood. Although, it's entirely possible that some of these rules are present cross-culturally. These rules outline what those who are socialised as men should and should not do. Masculinity is largely a social construct built around some biological differences between men and women, um, and therefore these rules are based on the idea of what a man should or should not be. And they can change and have changed at particular points in time and within particular contexts. Um, however, while these rules have changed, uh, when they are at their most accepted by society um, and have become understood as societal norms, uh, which is also known as hegemonic masculinity, these rules are, you know, kind of pretty fixed and rigid. Um, when writing the episode about toxic masculinity, I read a book called Is Masculinity Toxic by Andrew Smiler, in which he talks about the fact that there have been three predominant models, as it were, of masculinity, um, and that we're currently like in the third model, which is known as industrialised masculinity. This form of masculinity arose in the 20th century as a consequence of uh, capitalism, which sought to ensure that men focused on their jobs and very little else, and is primarily how we as men... And literally every other person who lives in the West I think, um, are expected to function today. In his book Smiler notes that we are entering into a uh, fourth model of masculinity uh, which is why the current model of masculinity, the industrialized one, um, and what it means to be a man is being questioned and challenged. In largely Western cultures these rules of manhood are things like men of control over women, men are heterosexual, hypersexual and sexually dominant, um, men are providers and men are financially secure. These rules have far-reaching harmful societal consequences. For example, the rules of men having control over women and being hypersexual and sexually dominant results in kind of like the normalization of sexist and misogynistic behavior, which, at its least consequential, which is, you know, still quite serious, uh, can create uncomfortable situations for women at work, on the streets, or nights out when men, where men can engage in persistent sort of sexually harassing behaviour, and at its worst, can result in significant instances of physical and sexual violence, such as domestic abuse and rape. While rules such as men needing to be emotionally and physically tough and not to show their emotions cuts us off from learning how to develop empathy, which increases our likelihood to engage in you know, aggression and violence, not only towards women, but to other gender groups and marginalized folk, um, but towards each other as well. Um, this you know, also takes various forms, from the common and everyday low-level bullying, that we like to call banter, to the fact that in 2021 in the UK, 70% of homicide victims were male, with 94% of those convicted of murder being male. Um, anyway. I explore all of this in a bit more detail in the, uh, as I said, in episode three of my podcast. So if you want to, you know, please go check that out. The rules of toxic masculinity and man box culture that relate to issues of help seeking are, again, things like real men are physically and emotionally tough, real men don't show emotions, and real men never seek help. These uh, stringent rules and the threat of being seen as less of a man and, in the eyes of some, being seen as being seen as feminine or doing things that women do um shock horror why would you want to be seen doing that um but anyway being bullied for for this ensures that we stick to these rules to our very detriment um it is these rules and variations of it you know so things like man up boys don't cry don't be a pussy things like that is what results in men in men seeking less help in general not just for mental health support but in all forms of health concerns And at this point, you might be wondering if men's health is poor anyway. Like, are men dying younger, or are they more ill? I guess one way to answer that is to highlight that in July 2022, um, the World Health Organization published an overview of men's health and well-being in Europe, stating in the opening lines of the report's introduction that, in recent years, the health and well-being of men has received increasing attention in the World Health Organization European region. A key trigger for this attention is the high level of premature mortality among men, basically men are dying younger, particularly in the eastern part of the region. Life expectancy at birth in males in countries of this region ranged from 64.7 to 81.2 years in 2016, while healthy life expectancy ranged from 58.7 to 72.4 years. The report highlights that the main causes of death for men in the European region, or Europe as I'm going to call it from now on, um, of the World Health Organization, were what's known as non-communicable diseases such as cardiovascular disease, cancers, diabetes, and respiratory, res- respiratory diseases. Fucking hell, I can't even say that. Res- respiratory diseases. <laughs> the other highest cause of death was linked to mental ill health, including substance use and self-harm and suicide, noting that self-harm and suicide comprise a significant cause of death and disease burden among men in the region. 127,882 deaths were attributed to self-harm and suicide in 2015, equivalent to a crude rate of 14.1 deaths per 100,000 population, which is the highest rate amongst all World Health Organization regions. So yeah. While the report states that men's mortality rates in Europe are improving, there is still a lot of variation between countries, and overall the state of men's health is pretty dire. Within Within the report's introduction, it also goes on to say... The focus of men's health has also been driven by a growing body of evidence that prov- provides a better understanding of how gender intersects with social, economic, environmental, political and cultural detriments of health, influencing exposure to risk factors and interactions with the health system. So. <sighs> Some risk factors that are related to men's higher risk of ill health that I had not necessarily thought about too much um, that are related to gender as well are men's general increased risk taking behavior and what's known as the breadwinner role. So, in terms of risk taking, it was noted in the report that men are more likely to demonstrate higher risk taking in terms of smoking, choosing poorer diets, and drinking. So, for example, one study from within the Russian Federation suggests that heavy drinking of strong spirits elevates or maintains a man's status in the working class social groups by facilitating access to power associated with the hegemonic ideal of a real working man. Alongside this, it is also noted there is also noted research which has shown that in most societies males are less abs, abs, abstemious oh my god I learned how to say this word yesterday abstemious anyway, I had to look this up. It means to indulge moderately. Um, And that men tend to be greater, so-called big drinkers, and cause more problems as a result of these intensive consumption patterns, factors that are considered to be a measure of masculinity. So basically, it seems that men see it as a badge of honour, or see it as a measure of doing masculinity right, to consume excessive amounts of alcohol. In terms of breadwinning, a systematic review highlighted how being male, how being a, b- a male breadwinner can be a factor for myocardial infarction and chronic back pain, while another study found that men who adhered to the breadwinner model felt compelled to earn money and return to work soon after a heart attack. So even the idea of being the primary income pro- income provider can bring with it a lot of stress, to the point where you can have a heart attack, which is what a myocardial infarction is. Um, and that once you have said heart attack you wouldn't you would want to go back to work as quickly as possible. Now, I'm aware that of how this ties into capitalism and the link between capitalism and masculinity is beyond the scope of this episode, but can you see how this link backs to the industrialised, stoic, competitive, doggy dog version of masculinity that we're currently existing in today? It's a bit fucked, isn't it? But what am I trying to say? I guess what I'm trying to say is that men clearly have some health issues which are impacting on them, causing them to basically die earlier than women. Um, and there seems to be a growing body of evidence. So I've only named a couple of things here, but please do go check out the full World Health Organization overview if you're interested. Um, there's you know a growing body body of evidence to suggest that the way in which men choose to adhere to the rules of masculinity are impacting on these their health outcome uh, their health outcomes. So basically, the way in which men men think, or rather have been told to live their lives, is having a direct negative negative impact on the length of their lives. Therefore, it's not too much of a stretch to think that adherence to these rules of masculinity would also impact on men's decisions to seek help, specifically around mental health difficulties. as mentioned earlier, these specific rules would be things like you know, appearing physically and emotionally strong, not showing emotions, and not asking for help. Um, the World Health uh, Organization overview goes on to note that in an analysis of coping mechanisms, um, it's been shown that men, more so than women, would tend to cope with their problems and dilemmas through addictions and ignoring the need for treatment, and that men would avoid asking for help or deny any state of discomfort, as doing so might be considered weak or being seen as vulnerable. Um, closer to home, in an article by The Guardian written in 2012, it was reported that men were only were only likely to visit the GP, which is kind of like the first line of contact for mental health support, four times in a year, while women would visit their GP on average six times a year. Similarly, men were likely to visit a pharmacy four times a year, compared to the a, a woman's average of 18 times a year. The same article highlighted that 9 in 10 men did not want to trouble a doctor or a pharmacist unless they had a serious problem leading the the article to conclude that men aren't taking full advantage of the support to maintain good health which is available free free of charge on their doorstep. And I guess in terms of mental health care, it has been noted by the Mental Health Foundation website that only 36% of referrals to talking therapies are men. However, according to the Adult Substance Misuse Treatment Statistics Report of 2019-2020, to published by Public Health England, uh, men made up over two-thirds of those accessing treatment for substances, including alcohol, opiates and non-opiates which I guess fits seeing as we've you know, kind of just heard that men are more likely to use substances as a means of coping with their difficulties. So I guess they may be accessing services in some kind of way, but it's not necessarily guaranteed that the substance use treatment will focus on, uh, I guess, the mental health difficulties that kind of precipitate or perpetuate the use of substances in the first instance. All of this, everything I've said up until this point, in a nutshell, could be considered, you know, internal barriers to help seeking, which develop as a consequence of these ideas of masculinity, and what it means to be a man now we're coming to the end but i guess you know i'm aware that some of those who have view who oppose the view that masculinity can have some bad or unhelpful parts to it view these internal barriers to help seeking as i guess a kind of victim blaming that is they think that by saying that elements of masculinity create these internal barriers for men it's somehow men's fault and i guess you know the answer to this is a little bit yes and a little bit no too. Um, do men have some agency over, over whether they adhere to or subscribe to the rules of manhood that kind of limit their opportunities to access health care? Well, I guess yes. I mean, if a man is ill, it just makes sense that he goes to the GP to get himself checked out. That's not really anyone else's responsibility other than his. At the same time though, the message that men have been fed from society and that they've internalised, like those previously mentioned, they didn't necessarily ask to be told or asked to receive. Um, I guess, I guess you know, we're all products of our environment and the culture in which we grow up. And if the rules of that society and that culture are that you do X, Y, and Z, well, you kind of generally end up doing X, Y, and Z. So I suppose if a man has received, you know, multiple messages from multiple sources throughout his life that men should always be strong and that to show weakness is unmanly, and I guess it's not really kind of their fault that, you know, he doesn't want to show any signs of weakness because, you know, that he would then potentially be viewed less as a man. And ultimately, ultimately, this conversation isn't about assigning blame. It's about looking at what some of the barriers are to help seeking, um, what they might be, where they might come from. Because I guess if we can understand that, and if we can understand the societal messages and see how damaging they can be for men and their physical and their mental health, then I guess perhaps we can kind of like, you know, start to challenge and to change those messages. Um, Well, I guess there we go. That's it. Um... I guess it's a bit of a whistle-stop tour for this part of the dialectic. Um, You know, on this part uh, of the views around men's mental health. um, I know it might have felt a bit short, but as I've said, I've discussed some of these points in further detail in other podcast episodes. So if you want to go and have a listen um, to those when you're finished here. uh, Some cynics might think that I'm trying to plug my own work. (laughs) And you would not be wrong, my friend. Um, (laughs) But I guess in the next episode... Um, I'm going to look a little bit more at the external barriers, uh, you know, the other side of the dialectic, um, and explore what the external barriers to men's help seeking might be. Uh, and I guess, you know, my hope is, uh, once having uh, gone through that, to kind of think about the question of whether men's mental health is cared about at all. Um, so yeah, so if, you'd, if you've if you enjoyed the episode, please rate it and leave a comment wherever you listen. Um, and if you think somebody else might benefit from hearing my bullshit, please recommend it or share it on social media. Um, as always, I'm happy to hear from you. So if you you know want to, please come find me on Instagram and say hi. Um, and yeah, as always, have a great day. Or not, no pressure. Bye for now.